0: Good morning and welcome to a special edition of the Leadership Insurance podcast. Um, I'm joined by my good friend Lars from QIC Digital Ventures. Um, Lars, uh, it's it's, it's a very good morning and very early morning for you, I think, isn't it? What what time are you joining me from?
1: Yeah, it's something like eight, so it's really, really early,
0: yes. Yes, it's it's early enough, early enough. Well, look, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, Usually we're talking about businesses. Um, I think it probably would be helpful to introduce the QIC Digital Ventures business. Uh, but we particularly want to talk about your the MENA Tech rising summit. So let's take that in two parts. So talk us through your role and, and and what you do at QIC.
1: Okay, yeah, sure. Thank you, Alex, and happy to be with you here. Um, QIC is one of the leading insurers in the Middle East. We do around forty percent of our premiums in the Middle East, being number one in Qatar, four in UAE, um, three in Oman, right? Um, but we do sixty percent internationally through Antares. This is our um, Lloyd syndicate and reinsurance arm. I'm the group chief digital officer of QSC. So I'm looking into building new digital business opportunities. We do this through QSC digital venture partners. We have two arms, one is a venture builder because really in the Middle East, there's not much there in terms of intro tech. So we're building um, our own intro techs. And we have a CVC practice where we're investing into um, intro techs that help us to build faster or enable some sort of kind of um, different distribution so this is in a nutshell about what, what we do
0: amazing yeah it's a really exciting setup and it's a setup we're seeing across um other carriers and and, and other investment vehicles but i particularly like that you come in it from your sort of buying ie investing and, and building as well from from scratch and getting in really early so it's a really exciting proposition but look you were the perfect person and the perfect business to to to, to create a, a really exciting summit so you talk us through the Media Research Tech Rising Summit. Um, it's the second year. What's the kind of overriding purpose of, of, of a, a summit for, for someone like yourself?
1: Yeah, no, I think we're really excited of the upcoming summit. Um, we had one last year, which was already a massive gathering of people that have like-minded um, brains, yeah, thinking about ecosystem building, thinking about insurtech and everything around digital insurance in the Middle East. We we this in this area really nascent, right? We have a lot of incumbents and nothing has really moved. We have two or three bigger intro techs, but that's it. We don't have an ecosystem. So last year we already did an intro tech competition to see, is there anybody there? And we said, oh yeah, there are people there. And we had had a really good um, startups and we thought we can do much more. So this year we have been running for the last six months, almost. Intertech competitions in different countries. So we have been in the UAE, we have been in Saudi, um, we have been in Oman, we have been in Qatar, we have been in Egypt. We did a little bit of uh, UK business as well. We selected the best intertechs of those countries and we've invited all of them into our summit where uh, we have in a couple of days 30 the 30 best intertechs pitching, pitching in front of the leading insurers, but also pitching in front of the most relevant intertech investors internationally and regionally. This is The start of our summit, and then the second day, we really have a knowledge conference where we have um insiders talking about what is actually happening globally and intertech. So, I think it's a nice uh, combination. We do this because, obviously, as the ecosystem is not really there, you somebody need to empower the ecosystem. I believe the summit is empowering the network, um, to connect people uh, to generate business opportunities, um, and also connect us with other areas. If you talk Mina. It means North Africa and Middle East. Well, so we have one panel. We've invited a couple of players, relevant players out of Africa, because lots of things are happening there. And we have a natural connection, language-wise, and religious-wise, or religion-wise. So um, all this is happening in, in our summit. So it's really an attempt to strengthen and build the roots of an ecosystem.
0: Amazing. Yeah, it's a really collaborative setup as well. And that's what I think I... I think sometimes outside looking in, particularly people that don't come through the insurance industry, they're always kind of surprised going, yeah, we're getting corporate venture partners and we're going to invite other corporate venture partners and we're going to invite other insurers and we're going to invite you know, investors. And there isn't this kind of competitive, there's not like monoline investments. You know, No one's going to own that investment on their own. Do you think that's kind of, we've got a kind of unique opportunity in the insurance industry just to collaborate on things like this?
1: Yeah, I think it's, still a challenge, right? I think it's an opportunity, yes, but it's still a challenge because the brain is minded somewhere else. You have to compete with everybody. I think insurance is complicated enough. Complicated enough for insurance players, but also for the insurance incumbents, our insurance intertext can coming up, right? Because it's not just, I have an idea and put this into place. I think you need several ingredients that are unique to the insurance sector to make things fly. Um, Yes, you need the idea, but then um, you need the insurance partner to actually sell in different countries. You need to regulators to say yes. And regulators have a lot of requirements, financial requirements for an intro tech to really start. And we need, we see capital that is interested and has experience in, in, in investing in intro tech because we have different kinds of cycles um, how the, the intro tech are growing. And then obviously you have talent or not the right talent because it's really not fintech. Intro tech is different, right? It's part of the yeah. financial industry, but it's different. So yeah, I believe it's, it's unique opportunity yeah, um, we need to do more in terms of co creation because it's that complex. Um, and I'm really keen to make this happen here in the Middle East.
0: Lars, I'm super excited for it. Uh, I can't wait for the summit. And um, yeah, thanks for spending some time with us.
1: Me too. See you there. Um, right.
2: Here we are. First first recording of uh, Mina and SureTech Rising. Um, I'm here with uh, Shwetak from uh, Leo Capital. Um, good morning. How are you?
3: Good morning, Alexander. well. And uh, that was a great attempt at my name. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you always, you always have to check beforehand. Um, uh, I, I suspect there will be a, bit, a fair bit of that. Um, Google's very helpful now, of course, <laughs> when we do that. Um, and when we, we recruit internationally. So, you know, we always have to be very careful. But um, look, thank you for finding time at the conference. Um, it'd be great to, as a starting point, probably just to introduce yourself and, and your role and, and obviously the Leo Capital business.
3: Yeah, sure, so I'm the co-founder of Leo Capital. We're an early stage tech VC based out of Singapore, Mm -hmm. but we invest fairly globally, uh, including Europe, Middle East, India, US, and Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. So we do need to go deeper in Africa and Latam, but that'll come. I'm also the co-founder of the India InsurTech Association, Mm -hmm. which is a uh, gathering of 250 InsurTechs in India now, so the largest such body. So I have a deep association with InsurTech, before starting Leo, I was a entrepreneur built and sold a couple of businesses, and then I ran Innovation for MetLife Asia, open Innovation for MetLife Asia for two years before saying, "Okay, it's better to do to, to, to do VC rather than continue to try and uh, build an innovation unit in a large insurer." <laughs> <laughs> you're not
2: you're not, you're not the only person that I've spoken to that uh, said that. Um, uh, that's a slightly terrifying uh, resume that you have there. Um, we can cover so many bases. I think. Um, yeah, you know, I've been talking, you were in, we were in well, scary, we're, we're in quite some way into 2023 now. You know, the environment has changed, particularly in insure tech investing, um, what people are kind of looking at has changed. You've got this good global outlook. What's sort of changed for you in terms of maybe the investments that you're focusing on this year as opposed to maybe last year?
3: Yeah, it's it's a great question. And it's a question that uh, that I guess gets asked a lot these days. Mm-hmm. I think three words have come back into the lexicon, which had totally disappeared, which is Path to profitability. Yeah, uh, that you know the concept had, had sort of gone out. You were always talking about growth rates, about how quickly you can gather users, and the question, you know, the concept of the J curve had sort of mm. completely gone from conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think as early stage investors, we were also sort of looking to the later stage guys and seeing that they were not asking this question, so we were not asking this question. Mm. Now, the later state guys have started asking this question very, very carefully. So that means it has started being asked by us as well. Mm-hmm. And you have to start thinking about unit economics in a much more careful way. You can't hand wave your way and say, okay, once we get to a certain scale, this will sort itself out. So <laughs> that's, I think, the biggest change across all uh, all models and all, all all sectors, not just in sure tech. Mm-hmm. But what that has meant is that you've had to have much more focus on monetization, on Actually, did economics and how you actually make money at, at some you know, point in the future at the bottom line, not gross margin, not you know some some other random cooked up metric, <laughs> and and that has led to of course you know more sensible businesses I think being being thought through and and, uh, and driven, especially in insure tech, I think people have understood that insurance is different from SaaS, mm. so your multiples have stopped being GWP multiples on a SaaS scale right, uh, which made no sense because your gross margin is at best, 20% of in insurance is probably, probably a lot worse. Yes. So a lot more understanding amongst the overall venture crowd as to what insurance is and that GWP is not revenue. So yeah. I think that, that has started flowing through. Yeah,
2: we did, we did um, an interview with a good friend of uh, the podcast, Brian Farachek, um, uh, quite recently and he, and he talks about the, you know the, the investment returns people are looking at and you're saying, but these are underwriting models so the best we can hope for is premium less costs you know like in a very simple term yeah it, you know it, it, so it makes it very difficult as a venture investment um does that mean that you have you focused at all, all your portfolio investments what's the split between looking at kind of SaaS opportunities in the Shield tech space versus you know pure sort of insurance and insurable products
3: yeah it's a, that's a very good question and for us what we found is that in the global markets, SaaS is probably slightly easier. Mm-hmm. So deep markets like the U.S., the U.K., there's enough premium there that you you can build a large business on a cut of that premium as a SaaS provider, as an enabler to an existing business. Mm-hmm. In emerging markets, that is not true. If I take a look at India, you know, say health premiums are only eight billion at the moment. It's a fraction of what is in the U.S., fraction of what is in the U.K., and there just isn't enough. Right? If you if your collection is two percent of eight billion. You're, you know your top line it caps you out right there mm-hmm. so in the emerging markets we've gone after the full stack opportunity going for a digital license trying to own the entire premium rather than just a fraction of the premium sure. and uh, we'll see how that shapes up
2: yeah sure um i know we're here uh, you know we're in the MENA region right now um but because of your role uh, in the insurtech association of india um i wanted to know are there specific themes that are being driven there that are particular to the region is is it for example um, health insurance is that, is that is that one of the big things or is that yeah is there another overriding theme that
3: yes yeah, so health has been has seen the most investment and most growth over the last two three years COVID was a big factor in mm-hmm. making health insurance salient so it went from being a push product to being a pull product and the first time people started demanding insurance because they saw the need and you've seen a proliferation of health insurance models in India from, say, you know the employee benefit side with unsurety, plum, uh, et cetera, to interesting, direct to consumers, even health assure, um, and you know everything in between. Uh, I think a lot of those folks have uh, started to see some scale in India, so getting to that one to two million user base and, and you know that's, that's a decent number to sort of start scaling out. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are looking at um, at uh, the GCC market, and we are excited about that. Some of our companies, we we have played insurance, health insurance in India is through a bit more sort of vertical slices. So diabetes, for instance, mm-hmm. we are invested in the largest diabetes management platform in India called Beto, which has now about 11 million diabetics on the platform. And how we can now use their data to. Contextualize and create personalized insurance. So that's an exciting thing that's happening there, and we're bringing that to GCC. So there's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, I would think that you know there's a lot of parallels to the Indian market here in GCC. So we're excited about the sort of local models here, especially in health, also in you know a little bit more in the commercial lines, which is massively underexplored in the entire sort of emerging market space, whether it's India or here. So those are the two sectors we've looked at carefully, health and commercial lines, and we're excited about what the possibilities are. Amazing. And then we should
2: focus on the summit. Uh, we're both here, um, great guests of QIC and, and, and Lars and uh, the team, and, and, and I've pulled you away from what is a really quite interesting pitch competition that they've been. Um, what, do, what do events like this mean for you as, as, a, as an investor? Um, what's the kind of, what do you want to see from them?
3: Yeah, I think for somebody coming into the region like, like me, this is very helpful. You get to see a smokes board of, of startups. You get to see what kind of problems the entrepreneurs are focusing on. And to me, that's also very helpful to to see what, what's salient, right? I mean, hopefully entrepreneurs are focusing on problems that they've seen in their lives or they feel that they are sort of meaningful problems to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great way to network with other investors who are deeper in the, in the region. So for funds like ours, it's a great opportunity to build that, Local know-how, local connections, which you really need to make investments in a region. It's hard to do early-stage investing sitting in one location without local flavor, local uh, local knowledge. So for us, that's that's a great uh, benefit. And Lars has been a fantastic host. This has been. Uh, Basically, what it would have taken us three months to do on our own to do it in, in two days is, is fantastic. So <laughs> it's great to be here.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, you've been very generous, and uh, yeah, we better get back to that pitch competition.
3: Sounds good, yeah. I have to start judging. Thank you, Alex. Thank you.
2: Take care. So here we are, um, second victim slash uh, <laughs> <laughs> guest uh, on the Leadership Insurance podcast, um, Marcus, thank you for joining me. And no, I, thank you so much. Yeah, not at all. Um, how are you? It's a beautiful day in Doha, didn't expect anything less than bright sunshine, but we're in a very air conditioned hotel. Um, Uh, just please introduce yourself on the business first because I think you've got such a fascinating um, uh, business that um, yeah you've just overloaded me with information that is (laughs) going to give me a kickoff point but just so the uh, listeners at home know what what you do.
4: No absolutely yeah and I mean it is a gorgeous day in Doha Um, I took a nearly 17-hour flight from San Francisco here (laughs) which was direct but that doesn't change the time difference so definitely feeling it Uh, my head does not agree with the sunshine yeah, I'm, so I'm Marcus Lambin, I'm based out of San Francisco, and I run a company called Profina. And what we do is we help make products smart. And we do this by embedding sensors into different types of physical products. Mm-hmm. So for example, I'm wearing, not that you can see it on the podcast, but I'm wearing a really nice kimono-based uh, silk jacket um, that has embedded sensor. And with that, we can measure a number of different things around, for example, how the jacket's doing, environmentals like humidity, and so on and so forth. And our role at Profina is really overlaying different types of data sets, like the sensor data, but also then correlating with other type of data, like for example, your heart rate when you wear the jacket. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we allow companies to build different types of applications on top of this, so that they can reimagine the end user experience for how we interact with not only physical products, but data overall. Mm-hmm. And that's our vision in the future, that we'll have more data than ever. So how can we actually use it to create something that's novel, experience, um but also something that's different from what we've had
2: that's great and and uh, i i think i would have looked at this through such a narrow lens if we hadn't had a sort of a preamble beforehand because i think when people hear sensor driven uh, technology and clothing they think about performance sportswear but it's sure. much more than that isn't
4: it that's right and i mean definitely we work with um, pro athletes that want to improve their performance like for example we work with uh, some top Uh, basketball clubs Mm -hmm. and with the basketball teams it's about understanding performance it's about understanding recovery sleep stress hormonal uh, activities and so on and so forth Um, and really driving it from a player point of view that how can the player themselves understand what's going on with their body and their environment Mm -hmm. to essentially get better but that being said it's not just about performance sports it's also about stress how do you manage stress Um, how do you know that the temperature in your bedroom is conducive to your sleep because most of us, we sleep in a bedroom and we don't necessarily know how that's affecting our deep sleep. Mm. But there's no, no reason that we shouldn't because that's data that we already have. But then it's all the way to, for example, luxury fashion and thinking about how do the shoes that you wear, how do they impact your, you know, the connections that you make, your mood, your happiness, and so on and so forth. Mm. So actually, I think with data, we're kind of sitting on this goldmine that we have so much data on an individual basis or just not really using it, mm. and this is—I um, mean—it's a huge opportunity because once you can bring in that type of data, then you can build new types of experience. But for example, we're here at an insurance summit, so how does this relate to, for example, insurers? Um, we, for example, we work with a lot of insurers around the world where they're looking at their policyholders for, for example, life insurance. Yeah. So then they look at preventative health, uh, mental health, and wellness, and so on and so forth, and really the. Um, Starting point is that if you can make your policyholders, you know, healthier and happier, then they're going to be better customers for the insurance company because mm. they have very similar incentives as the insurance company does. Yeah, it, the the applications is wild for
2: the insurance industry because um, you and I were talking about. Um, I'm a bit of a fashion guy. I used to own a shop in Greenwich market and we used to have an online fashion marketplace and we were talking about you know I bought some expensive pieces of clothing quite recently um, and know, then funny enough I was just watching the pitch for Custodian which is yeah. specifically about cars but right. they talked about the beyond that collectible clothing for example so you explain that it's not just about kind of tracking it for example in basic ways to say is it being lost but just the lifetime value of that product is
3: enhanced
4: sure. by you know working Lifetime value is one thing, like, how did you maintain the car, for example? Did you drive it too fast and so on and so forth? But then you kind of get into this very delicate balance as well that, you know, the data should benefit you as an individual, yeah. not the insurance company alone. Of course. So then there's like, you know, there's certain type of data that's, I mean, if you have a sports car, you're supposed to drive the sports car you know, <laughs> fast. It's very similar to, for example, if you have a really, really nice jacket. I mean, you're supposed to wear it out in the sun. Yes. So there's certain things that are like, it's a balance. But at the end of the day, for example, in different types of collectibles, tracing the entire value chain of where everything came from, where, how has it been kept, and then who actually owns it. Mm. That becomes a huge, huge piece, especially for maintaining the value and also secondary transactions. Because, for example, you want to make sure that the entire chain of events is legitimate. Mm. But I think this actually fits into a broader theme of what is authentic in, let's say, the internet overall going forward. Because if you think about everything that we have going on in applied AI, we have deep fakes, we have Barack Obama that's not Barack Obama selling you some skin care product, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. How do you know you know, that something is actually authentic? And this is where actually if you're able to bring in all of this type of data that we have into one place, you can even create the strongest fingerprint that it is really you that owns that sports car, for example. Mm-hmm. So could you, for example, use this to you know, tie Let's say, your portfolio of assets to you, and really kind of establish this type of, um, I don't know, custodial effect in the long term. But our focus is very much on right now kind of looking at how can we reimagine the call it the consumer experience using data. Yeah. But we see that beyond that, I mean, it has, like you said, it has incredible applications that are sort of like derivatives of those, mm-hmm. because you go into, like, for example, in cars. One of the things that we've done in automobiles is that cars generate a lot of data, mm-hmm. but so do you as an individual. So just walking into the car and knowing that, am I a five-star driver today, or am I only a three-star driver today? Because I mean, if you slept really poorly and you've mm-hmm. had a little bit more to mm-hmm. drink, then I mean, we're not talking about sharing it anywhere, but just for your own use, would your car be able to benefit from knowing that you slept slightly poorly the night before? Most yeah. likely it could, because yeah. those are very sophisticated pieces of machinery. Mm-hmm. Sure. So this is also kind of where there's this interplay between all the data that we have and all the data that's generated by the things around us and how can you almost kind of tie them into a unique and portable experience going forward it's a very very big theme of course but that's kind of something that we look at as inevitable because i mean not using it would be inefficient and generally markets tend to work they tend to work their way toward this type of um you know, efficient outcome where all the data is, you know, at least in theory, it's used to the maximum output. Sure. But what we want to guarantee nice. is that the um, the benefits of that actually also ends up with the individual mm-hmm. and not just with, for example, the companies around them. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing that people kind of are rightly
2: concerned about, particularly at this stage. In, and, and, and I think in this stage of the consumer's journey, as in realising that our data is the thing that's, that makes us valuable as individuals and, and, and our data is being used, and I think people are just starting to wake up to, sure. you know, we need to be protective of that. Um, I just wanted to finish on a question of, of like where insurance <laughs> Because I'm an insurance guy, so as soon as you started talking about like the applications to insurance are quite obvious and vast, um, was insurance a play that was in your mind from the outset or is it something that
4: sort of evolved as you started I don't sure. know, presenting the product? So I've started a couple of companies in the past. And my second company was a fintech company and I sold to insurers and banks and different types of financial institutions. So I know that market relatively well. Um, it was never the primary market that we started from but it emerged as a very clear secondary market. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, let's take the example that from the summit here in Doha, I'm gonna be traveling to Switzerland. And in Switzerland, we're working with our partner that has a sensor embedded into both the left and the right ski boot in their line, as well as a helmet. So you can actually triangulate the skier and their position to help them improve. Now, the like the performance athletes they care about what was the angle of tilt on their 760th turn on the mountain <laughs> most skiers don't yeah but some people do but if you start essentially getting this type of data on skiers could you create individualized insurance mm. per skier per day in dynamic conditions could you give them incentives to ski safer based on those these are some things that are currently really hard to dynamically price. But if you start having this type of data, could you actually create almost like a reverse marketplace for these types of products? Could you do this on, let's say, a resort by resort basis, for example, Mm. like some insurance products would be different from different types of uh, resorts? So these are the type of things that you start off with a very, very simple, within air quotes, uh, use case of having data generated from ski boots and then using that to boost performance. But then you start realizing that you can actually use this not only to improve the performance of the skier, but you can also use it as, let's say, recommendations for routes on different types of ski resorts. Mm -hmm. But then you can also use it for insurance products and so on and so forth. So that's been very much our foray into thinking about starting off in a very, very clear um, value prop for the individual, but then realizing that there's this entire ecosystem that emerges around it. And insurance is... I mean, it's kind of a very central part of, especially different types of activities that, like skiing, but also travel and so on and so forth. So it's always present in this ecosystem. Mm. Absolutely, um, Mark, you've been very generous with your time. Thanks for being a guest on the book of course.
2: course. Thank you. Uh, shall stop it there. So here we are, uh, Mina and Shiltek uh, rising. Um, I'm joined by Tundi. Tundi, how are you? And um, Yeah, Uh, well we met yesterday in in a bit of a crazy day, I I, I don't know, uh, sand dune surfing, uh, sand dune safari, um, but we're here for the business end of it now. Um, um, But uh, yeah, how are you getting on, how are you enjoying this?
5: Yeah, I'm good, I'm good Alex, Uh, it's great to meet you again. Uh, Yesterday was awesome by the way. I was going to cancel that, just FYI, uh, because I saw the video and I said, nope, I'm not doing this. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it turned out to be very, very good. Uh, It was lots of fun, and uh, I particularly like, you know, seeing the sunset and everything, you know. I took some cool pictures and everything, so yeah. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah, we've got
2: good, yeah, good content for us all. <laughs> um, so, uh, look, before we dive in, uh, we've obviously met, and uh, yeah, well, I, I know you through my good friends at Sonar as well. Yeah. Um, but it would be great if you could introduce yourself and um, and your organisation.
5: All right, cool. So, um, my name is Tunde um, Salako. I, foundationally, I trained as a physician, but um, about 18 years ago, I found myself on uh, the insurance side of the fence, uh, something that was supposed to be a journey of about 12 months. And uh, fast forward to 18 years, uh, I'm still at that journey. <laughs> and I like to describe myself as connecting the dots, um, finding my key guy, connecting the dots between insurance, penetration, and technology, right? Because um, I live in Africa, uh, born and bred, uh, moved around a bit, but um, headquartered in Lagos, Nigeria. And um, when you look at Africa, you know, it's a very large, unique continent and uh, insurance penetration is still less than 3%. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, it's really about trying to look into the future, creating a two way street, which, by the way, um, is the organization uh, that brought here uh, that's African Troll Tech Lab. Uh, we like to pride ourselves as, you know, that platform that is creating that two way street for aiding and abetting innovation from the continent of Africa, putting on the global map. And at the same time, Lend the outside world. Look through our lenses into Africa, right? Because mm-hmm. we think that you know, by doing that, we're built, we're, we're we're closing the gap between innovation, uh, which we would refer to as the insurers, and incumbents, which we refer to as the insurers, right? Mm-hmm. And um, being on both sides of the fence at different um, phases of my career gives the ability to be able to speak the. Um, multiple languages or the multiple lingua between the both sides of the fence and so the value that we bring is um, having to play within that sweet spot in the middle, you know to be able to aid and abet not only conversations but unlock new value chains, new opportunities and grow the market ultimately for insurance on
2: the yeah. continent. Yeah. yeah and I think those connection um, voices have been in so much demand over the last couple of years, and and, and we go back to insuretech 1.0 if we say that, and, and and there's a lot of angry tech people going, these insurers don't understand <laughs> don't understand the capabilities, and, the, and then most of the insurers are going, you don't understand anything about regulation. Yeah, um, <laughs> and there's something in the middle. Um, your your unique lens of, of of looking at the kind of African insurance market. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know, we've, we've done some work in LATAM recently. We've done, we're obviously doing work consistently in Europe and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the US. Are there any specific themes of innovation that are particularly prevalent in, in the African region that, that, that you're seeing kind of tracks of different in uh, rise out of? All right, cool.
5: So, you know, for context, right, when you, when you look at the um, whole um, environment, right, you know, because when, when it's, it's interesting you mentioned LATAM. Uh, when you look at a place, a continent like Africa, um, Africa is positioned to be the second fastest growing region um, after LATAM. And um, this is something that, you know, researchers has dug up specifically by McKinsey. And uh, when you look at, you know, the rise and the surge of um, local talent over the past five to seven years, uh, specifically, um, you would find out that, you know, uh, this surge has increased because of the capacity for local talent to be able to go into deep tech, heavy engineering. Probably not as, you know, the regions like Israel, Europe, and North America, but we've gone really deep on the continent to the extent that you've got guys like Amazon coming to, you know, poach people from Africa to say, hey, you know what? <laughs> we hear you guys are good. right? Yeah. So it's changed a lot of dynamics. So what am I trying to say? Like, so there's a surge in local talent. and There's the capability to be able to do local engineering. And so because this are being done by local talent, they're, under, they're able to um, solve problems, you know, that are intimate to the environment, right? Mm-hmm. And what that just does is it positions it into in, in a unique Place of being able to unlock certain value chains that are peculiar to the environment. Mm -hmm. The the likes of um, trends that we're seeing that uh, 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 would have been impossible maybe like just three or four years ago, like personalization, Mm -hmm. um, pay as you use, um, uh, buy now, pay later, uh, asset sharing, and, and just to mention a few, right? Those are things that we're seeing that are surging on the continent because. When you look at financial inclusion, right, as insurance is financial service, you know, so to speak, what is pertinent is the way the culture and the economics of how people access their daily financial services Mm -hmm. is now being mirrored, right, and um, accessing insurance as well, right? So because there's been that, you know, uh, forefront inertia uh, with the fintech companies, right? There's aiding and abetting how people at the bottom of the pyramid, at the middle of the pyramid, or even at the high end. Everyone is now looking into words to try to get their daily financial transactions done mm-hmm. um, within the wealth um, chain of ecosystems. And insurance is just following through you know, very easily for that. And so it's, it's, it's interesting how, within just three to five years, we've, we're seeing innovative companies that are solving very pertinent problems that are unique to the West, the East, the South, and even the North, but completely different from, you know, what you will probably see in places like Europe and North America, because like, take for example, um, there's really no credit infrastructure Mm -hmm. uh, in Africa, but it's being aided and abetted by companies that are fostering the likes of buy now, pay later Mm -hmm. um, solutions, right, because that gives the capability to start gradually building the credit infrastructure. I mean, South Africa is a little bit different. Um, yeah, it's leading with seventeen um, percent of the gross rating premium that is supposed to be domiciled in Africa out of the sixty-eight billion U.S. dollars, um, according to McKinsey. Uh, you could you, you have some form of structure there in terms of credit, uh, but in other regions, it's neither here nor there. But you know, the advent of technology is aiding and abetting you know that leapfrogging, right, mm-hmm. that growth for this unique solutions to the come in. And, and and just to mention um, on the side, right, like when we look at um, forefront technologies like telematics, uh, the IoT, the connectivity of desi- devices, we're seeing a lot of things happening in the telematics space for the auto insurance. We're also seeing a lot of things happening in the claim space with the um, using um, artificial intelligence and machine learning mm-hmm. to aid and abet, you know, how the solutions are solving problems. That are genuine you know um, to sub-saharan africa and even north africa case in hand uh, the success story of mpesa right uh, which is mobile money that was originated um, in kenya it's made significant impact it's used case all over the world in case studies and um, you know um, ivy league universities and forefront business schools it's interesting that you know this solution has succeeded you know very very significantly in sub-saharan africa But in other climes, you know, um, the model has been piloted, tried, but didn't work, right? Mm. So Africa still remains that unique continent where where the problems are inherent to the behavior of um, usage, utilization, Mm -hmm. the consumers, Mm -hmm. and um, I think we're just getting started. Uh, I like to say Africa is ready, you know, for the next future, yeah. Yeah, I love that, I love that. That's quite a, a quite a cool Africa
2: is ready. Yeah, uh, you heard it. Yeah. Um, I, and um, I, I wanted to talk to about the event. We're at this brilliant event. Um, organized by by QRC Digital Ventures, uh, Mina, Insurtech Rising. Um, what do you hope to get out of an event like this? What, right. What's what's your reason for being here?
5: All right, cool. So um, shout out to Lass and his amazing team. First yeah, off, for definitely. the invite. Uh, I mean, um, Lass is a fantastic guy. We hit it off after last year's ITC Vegas event, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been in touch since then. and um, Literally, when they were planning this, you know, um, uh, I got you know contacted and say, hey, um, what, what are you, what do you think? We're trying to put this event together. They shared their ideas, which I thought was fantastic, by the way. And uh, I say, hey, I'm happy to jump on as well. And say, yeah, definitely, we would like to see what happens. Yeah, so we're it's the MENA region, which is Middle East and North Africa, mm-hmm. but. Sub-Saharan Africa is very key, and um, what Lars was trying to pull together was to pull everyone into um, Doha. Uh, I think he's, he's a very big promoter of the of, of the country, so shout out to him again. And um, at the intersection of where you know the agenda was being formed and everything, you know what? It'll be interesting to see how some of the innovations that you talk about that are happening you know in sub-saharan africa and africa at large can be showcased you know uh, on the mena stage and it will be a great avenue to also let everyone see what is really happening down there through mm-hmm. your lenses mm-hmm. and at the same time you know create that leeway or that pathway for everyone to also peep in and say do so we want to start, you know, also looking into Africa? Because here's what's happened, right? It's not even only from the investment perspective, but from the perspective of um, generally looking at solutions that uh, uh, can be exported to mm-hmm. the different parts of, it, if I can use that term. Case in hand, the. Um, uh, a company like Pula, who, who mm. is based out of Kenya and has been able to export their solutions to places in Latin, uh likes of Brazil, I think some other places in Southeast Asia. So it's being able to bring it to the fore and um, getting to new, meet new people, getting to get the connections, and to be the plug generally, right, which is what I've been doing, yeah, be the plug for the African market and uh, get to see how we can build connections, you know, to build that confidence, right? Because it's a little bit more about the, Uh, When you talk about, like, for the investment um, um, thesis where, you know, you talk about valuation, right, I like to simply put it and summarize as, you know, um, we're showcasing, again, that Africa is ready. And for the outside world, right, it's ripe for other people to come in, right? The the market is open. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, we can we can transfer that confidence to other people from different regions and other continents from this conference, you know, um, to looking inwards into Africa and doing business with us. Amazing, Tundi. that's amazing. Thank you so much for your time. So pleasure to meet you again, Alex, and thanks for uh, listening to me ramble. <laughs> <laughs>